Well, hey there, and welcome to Online Worship. My name is Megan Honig. I'm the associate pastor here on staff at Crossroads, and it's so good to be in online worship with you today, wherever you are. Thank you for um, tuning in and joining us today. We are ending and finishing our first John sermon series, and today I'll be preaching out of 1 John, verses 13 through 21. I'll be reading from the NLT version if you um, have something you'd like to pull that up on, uh, but we will get started in just a moment. So uh, before we get started, would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for online worship and the ability to gather together in your name to worship wherever we are. God, I pray that you would open hearts and ears to hear whatever you have to say today. And God, would you lead me as I preach and let me not say anything that is not of you, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, we're finishing up 1 John today, and before we get started, I want to remind you um, about where we are in the story, who this letter is written to, and all that. So, 1 John is a letter written by John, who was one of Jesus' disciples. John is writing a letter to a Christian church that is formed, but recently it was exposed to in the church uh, that had some people in it who were only pretending to be Christians and they didn't actually know God or want to know God. They were pretending to be Christians so that they could get in among the church body and cause trouble. And the scripture today is the very end of that letter and John is trying to sum up everything that he has told them in this letter. So let's read that together now. This is 1 John 5 13 through 21. It says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I am not saying that you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. So as John begins to wrap up this letter in these last few verses, he has a few different things that he wants this church to know. First, he begins his conclusion by restating who he has written this letter to and why. In verse 13, John says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John is writing this to reinforce to those believers that they have eternal life in Christ. But also, this reminder prefaces the next important reminder that John gives them in verses 14 and 15. He says, And we are confident 
that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. It's important here that we stop and recognize who the we is that John is talking about. The we doesn't mean anyone and everyone, but he's talking about we who believe in the Son of God and are saved through him. We, the believers, can be confident that God hears our prayers because we have been saved, and through that salvation, we have the Holy Spirit within us, which gives us a connection to God unlike anything else. And we can be confident in knowing that when we ask for things that please God, that he will give them to us because they are according to his will. When we ask for things that please God, he will give them to us. And so then John goes on in verses 16 and 17 to talk some more about prayer. He says, If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I am not saying that you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked sins... All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. So this is an interesting point in the letter that brings up a lot of questions whenever anyone reads it. And a lot of writers and theologians have different viewpoints about what the sin that leads to death is. And I can tell you what I think that is and what most theologians think it is. But in order to do that, let's get the full context and remind ourselves who this letter is written to, a church that has just had some troublemaking unbelievers exposed and exit their church. The way that John is writing about this to the people in this church signals to me that those in the church have seen people commit the sin that leads to death because he's very adamant in differentiating between the sin that does and doesn't lead to death. So these people must have witnessed someone commit the sin that leads to death or else John probably wouldn't even mention the sin that leads to death. He would just say, pray for people who sin, right? So they must have witnessed it at some point. So when I take that into consideration, I believe the sin that leads to death is apostasy. And apostasy is defined as the act of rebelling against, forsaking, abandoning, or falling away from what one has believed. So apostasy is the one sin that believers can commit and not come back from. It's when someone believes in God and gives their life to them, but then turns on God and runs away and um, just commits spiritual adultery of turning away from God and no longer following him. And any other sin that a believer commits, say lying or stealing or even adultery, though repentance, uh, through repentance, they can come back from that and be made right again with God. And these sins don't cause someone to lose their salvation. However, apostasy is different because in apostasy, you turn from the truth. You either abandon God altogether or start believing false teachings or even worse, giving false teachings about God that isn't true. 
and that is likely what these people who have left the church are doing. They turned away from God, almost as if they had never been saved before, and they are kind of returning their salvation. They don't want it anymore. They're turning from God, so they are no longer um, in that relationship with God, and so they're completely They've completely cut themselves off from God. That is what apostasy is, and that is what the people who are in this church did. They completely turned away from God. So John's point in this paragraph is to tell the church that if they see another believer among them who is sinning, that they should pray for that person, that God would give them life and restore them to right relationship with him. And he's saying that they should not necessarily pray this way for people who are committing the sin that leads to death. The people who are committing the sin that leads to death, apostasy, need to turn back to God before it is worth their while to repent from non-death sins. Does that make sense? Like someone who has turned away from God and is now living in apostasy, totally ignoring God, not wanting anything to do with them, it might be a little fruitless to pray for them. Um, Oh God, please help them repent of their sin of lying when they have no uh, want to repent at all, right? Um, So it doesn't make sense for them to pray for those what, oh my goodness, I can't even think of the word. Those apostates, people have turned from God since they want nothing to do from God anyway. So to pray for those little sins that don't lead to death may, might not make any sense. And realistically, John also knows that the people in the church are probably still hurting and may not be ready to pray for those who have left their church and have left them for apostasy. This whole piece of scripture, these two little verses, have so many questions, um, but we all that we really know for sure is that John is saying that's not who he is telling them to pray for in this instance. So, I'm sure that is clear as mud. You can call me if I got something wrong. I'm sure I did because those verses are confusing, but uh, John goes on to verses 18 and 19. He says, we know that God's children do do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And I love this verse. I love the image of Jesus holding his children securely. I just imagine him with his big arms out and all of his kids, like right here, he's just like bear hugging them, holding them securely. And the evil one is not able to touch them. It gives off this image of Jesus being this ultimate protector, which I feel like we kind of don't get a whole lot in scripture. And I know it's in there, but I feel like writers don't touch on it as much as they should. We often hear Jesus described as healer, comforter, and savior, but this protector image seems to reveal a whole different side of Jesus. Jesus wants to protect us from the evil one, and he does. He protected us from the evil one once and for all by dying on the cross for us so that we could be saved from our sins and saved from evil and live with Jesus forever. We may be affected by the evil one in our lives because he is 
everywhere, but Jesus has saved us once and for all. Verse 19 says that the world around us is under the control of the evil one, which is true. The evil one is here and he does control some things in this world. And there's good and there is evil in this world. And we all understand that. There is a battle of God and evil here on this earth. But we know that because of Jesus, the evil will never truly win us over and that he will never have the last word over our lives. Jesus has already had the last word, and he will for the rest of our lives. Jesus has already saved us. Our great protector has already been there for us. Verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now... We live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. I love what John points out here, that because Jesus has come, we now have fellowship with God because we have fellowship with his son. Jesus is only way to the Father. We can't have fellowship with God if we don't first come and give our lives to Jesus and call him our Savior. He's the only way to eternal life. We can't accept God the Father without accepting Jesus the Son because Jesus is the way to the Father. So we have to accept him and he is the true way to eternal life. He's the only true God, the only source of true joy and hope. The world that we live in today has so many things claiming that they contain hope and freedom and joy, and it's everywhere. If you just sit down and watch TV for a few minutes and see some commercials, you'll see these claims over and over again that this is the thing that's going to change your life. This is going to help you finally get to the success that you want to be in. This is going to help your relationship, and this is going to do that. Those things may be helpful to some extent, but they only go so far. Jesus is the true helper, the true one who contains hope and freedom and joy, and we cannot be fooled by the things of this world because we know where our true source of hope comes from, and that is Jesus. So John finishes off this letter in verse 21. He says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might make God's that might take God's place in your hearts. So then John ends it with this, this little seemingly offhanded reminder to the church to not make any idols and to keep away from the things that might take God's place in our hearts. And it's interesting because for the last few verses, it doesn't seem like he's mentioned anything about idolatry. Why is he just throwing it in suddenly here at the end? But really, John has been subtly weaving in the theme of idolatry this whole time. And as we take this scripture and try to think about how we could apply it to us in our lives today, I want to reveal how John is reminding the church to avoid idolatry through the truth that he has written about in these last few verses. So here are three ways to avoid idolatry that we can live into today. 
The first is to avoid idolatry by praying for things that please the Lord and by praying for others. In these first few verses, John talks about prayer in two different ways. First, he starts out by saying that if a believer asks God for something that pleases him, that he that he that it will be given to him. John doesn't say that if the believer prays for something that they need, that it will be given to them. John doesn't say that if they pray for something that they deserve, that it will be given to them. John says that if they pray for something that pleases God, then it will be given to them. And I'm glad he mentions this because I think that sometimes idolatry can even sneak into our prayer life if we're not careful. And I know that scripture says that we can lay our hearts and our needs and our wants before the Lord. And it is good to do that and you should do that. But how often are the things that we pray for things that may not please God? I'm sure I'm guilty of it. I'm sure there's probably things that I pray for sometimes that God goes, mm, Megan, I think you need to check yourself. I don't know about that. I think this is a good reminder to double check our things, our prayers, and the things that we ask God for. If the things that we are asking God for aren't things that we think would please God, then I think we need to do a little double take and ask, like, what is the root? Why are we asking for these things? And I think God will reveal to us something that uh, something else that we might need to pray for that will keep us from. Um, sinning and praying for things that are idolatrous. Second, he talks about praying for others and that they that they might repent of their sin and receive life. I think that this is a good call to pray for our brothers and sisters as they experience the pull of idolatry as well. Sometimes when someone is so stuck deep in idolatry, they might not even know what they're doing. So our prayers and our loving assistance is crucial in helping getting them back on the path that leads towards God. So we should pray for things that please God and also pray for others as they are in sin. And the second way I think John is reminding us to avoid idolatry is by reminding us that we are children of God, but we live in the world that evil has a grip on. If we want to keep our eyes fixed on God and not fall to the traps of idolatry, we have to avoid idolatry by being in the world and not of it. This means that while we live in the world, it's okay to enjoy some of the things that the world brings. There are lots of good things in this world. But if those things start to control us or pull us away from God, we have to back away and protect ourselves from being torn away from God and being sucked away to the enemy. For example, uh, music. There's lots of different music genres and things in this world, and it is okay to listen to different types of music. But if that music starts to change the way we think, if it starts to be a distraction, if it starts to... Um, just change who we are in any way or pull us away from God, then we have to take a minute, step back, and say, whoa, 
whatever that was is pulling me away from God. I can't be doing that anymore. And so you can't listen to that type of music if it's going to take you away from God. We have to be in prayer for wisdom and for judgment to know when to partake in the things of this world and to not. It's a balance that the Lord will help us with. So we really need to look around us and be aware of who we spend our time with, where we go, what we do every single day. It's so easy to get caught up in the traps of this world and by the many things that are vying for our attention. And when we give too much of our time and energy and attention to those things, they start to destroy our lives and take us away from God. So we have to lean into the fact that we are children of God who are in the world, but we're not of it. We are called to holiness and being set apart and becoming a living sacrifice for the gospel. And we can't let the evil of the world interfere with that and take that away. We have to remind ourselves who we are, what we're here for, and keep that at the foremost focus of our lives. The third thing that we can do to avoid idolatry is by leaning into our fellowship with Jesus. When we have a relationship with Jesus and we have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, we enter into a special relationship with him, one that is always active. Through this relationship, we can have communion and fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is the most important relationship that you will ever have, and it's easy for us to put other relationships or commitments or priorities in front of that relationship with Jesus. And I'm sure we've all done it. I know I've done it, and it never ends well. Everything else in this life will fade away except for our relationship with Jesus. So it's important that we put that um, first in our lives and we put it as a priority for us so that we can put effort into that relationship with Jesus to build it up and make it strong so that we can have a strong foundation to build our lives on. We need to spend time with him to learn more about him and to just talk to him to just talk to Jesus every day. And John graciously reminds us here that Jesus is the only true God and that he is eternal life. So put no others before him and strive to constantly work at and strengthen your relationship with Jesus. And that will help to keep you away from idolatry. So 1 John was an incredible book for us to um, just journey through together. And I hope you learned so much from this writer and this author who had such a heart for the Lord and seeing his, uh, seeing God's church flourish. I hope that as we end this sermon series today, that you would know that John's real first thing that he wants you to do is to just keep Jesus first in your heart. Avoid idolatry, avoid putting anything else before him, and focus on Jesus, and your life will be abundant and more joyful and wonderful than you could ever imagine. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for First uh, John and the way that it has spoken into our lives in these past few weeks. 
God, we pray that as we go out into our lives, that you would help us to just call out the idolatry in our lives, that you would help us to remove it and to just focus on you, Lord. God, I pray for each one of us as we um, just continue to live life with you. Would you reveal yourself to each one of us and just be with us and strengthen us in your name. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.